Welcome to the People of Chattanooga podcast. I'm your host, Luke Swab. Today on the show, I have the one and only Jeff Stiles. Jeff has been on local talk morning radio shows for 29 years. He knows the game well and has cultivated a loyal following. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Jeff for two hours to discuss many things, including leaving radio and switching to podcasting, what fires him up in a conversation, the lost art of debate, arguing, and critique, and his definitions of each. Jeff is open and honest, as no topic is off limits with him. Religion, work ethic, cancel culture, he won't shy away from any question, and I respect that. He is currently at a shifting point in his career, and I'm excited to see where he takes it. I hope you enjoy my following conversation with the voice of Chattanooga, Jeff Stiles. And we are recording. I'm here with Jeff Stiles. And are you known as the voice of Chattanooga? Is that what I read somewhere? <laughs> I did a humbly I would I would say that since the passing of Luther Massengill, I would say that's that was that was at least probably the case, you know, for for many, many years. Um for younger demographic at the time. It's hard for me to say that now. I'm, I'll be 61 on Wednesday. Um, I was the voice of Chattanooga starting pretty much with the rise of talk radio. That's I started doing talk radio as it ascended. What year was that? About 1992. 92. It was the, it was, it was during the Gulf war. America was hungry for information. CNN, it's ascension was during the same period. Um, I was hired away from an advertising agency in Knoxville to come down and do talk radio to be the flip side of the political partisan coin of Rush Limbaugh to the pre-Rush hour, as they called it. I didn't even know who Rush Limbaugh was. I didn't listen to talk radio, had no idea, and I, I took the job simply because it intrigued me. And because maybe you needed money too, or is it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah but it, no, I took a I took a major pay cut to actually do it. But I don't know. I mean, you get taught, you you get paid to argue with people. It's something I'm uniquely qualified for. <laughs> Apparently, I had I can tell you this: I had three people call me the day that the local host, who was at the AM station. I came here first in the 80s to be a newsman, a, a radio news guy. There were still radio newsrooms then. And you could actually make a career being a radio news guy. You know, Les Nesman from WKRP. And uh, that's what I did. And when I moved away to Knoxville for the ad job, like I said, all these things started happening. Talk radio began, and it started on the AM station that WGOW had at the time, 1150. And it used to be a music station. It was a competitor. And then AM just started just getting stomped. They couldn't even give that station away. And I was hearing about what was going on with it. They literally tried to give it to the university, and they wouldn't take it, so it had no worth. And then talk radio came along and saved it. The local host began his own cult of personality, and people started tuning in. And uh, then he just quit on air one day very dramatically. That day I had three people call me in Knoxville. And I'll, I'll, the other two paraphrased what this one person said, and I'll repeat the exact quote. He said, they're looking for a liberal opinion, opinionated asshole, and I thought of you. So <laughs> I got three calls that were, that were pretty much the same thing, but he said it exactly like that. And that's what I got hired on to be. And so you, how old were you when you 
came here to 32. do that. 32 years old. What got you interested in arguing with people? Is that, is that, am I painting you the right way? Is oh, that yeah, no, unfair no. or is that? No, no, you, no. I, I just enjoy conversation. I enjoy well, the conversation is different than arguing yeah. in my opinion. Oh, I, there's no doubt. Well, but it, you know, it depends on you, depends on who you're conversing with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the best conversations are not where you're sitting there in a mutual admiration society patting each other on the back. I oh, mean, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's, it's, it's when you engage and you, you lock horns and you, you, you have a little repartee, you have a little, you know. Uh, wit and you're, you're 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 mentally jousting essentially, and it was just something I don't know. It's just something me and my friends always did, and I guess I mean I, I guess it just something that just naturally came out of my mouth during the course of my normal day and part of my personality. People thought of me when the job came open, and and I'll have to say I mean I I just backed my way into it. I thought it would be a kind of a, a patchwork interesting you know experience a little gig for a while until I got another copywriting gig at a bigger agency making more money I was chasing the paycheck at the time but boy I just I hit it just the right time it was during that election uh, when Clinton Gore were running if you may remember the some of the ramifications of that one it was a it was a it was an interesting time the world started paying more attention to politics. America started paying more attention to politics then. So politics drove everything. One second. Let's, can we move this mic up a little bit? Sure. Oh, I didn't realize it had dropped. I so apologize. I, I probably don't have as good as equipment as you no, used to. No, no, I'm, I'm used to nothing. It's all good. I didn't realize. I'd gone flaccid there. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this arguing versus conversation sure I, I, let's put some definitions on the table what do, okay what, what would you define a conversation and what would your definition be of an argument well, we're conversing now yeah 100 percent. um we would we would be discussing and debating as soon as you come up with a contrary position and you say what do you think we're arguing when you actually get under my armor and you know you actually hit an emotional switch, and you actually get some 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 flow going. Is is that um, have to be on purpose when you can't get do it under- on, can't do it on purpose? It's it's not something you can summon. It's something that comes over you like the Hulk. You know, I, I mean, I can sit there and have the the most in depth discussions in the world with people that I disagree with a hundred percent. Yeah. But if they don't hit the right trigger, the right switch, they don't ever really get to the emotional me. They don't get to the quick. And you do know, you like do you like the emotional you? I I everybody else does more than I do. I actually <laughs> I I always kind of look back on it like I'm, I'll I'll use the Hulk analogy again. Yeah. I, we we actually refer to them as brain explosions, head explosions, where finally somebody will just I'll be talking my armors up. You know we're doing the you know A B equals C two plus two equals four sort of you know debate and somebody will say something that just somehow sneaks around my defenses and hits me personally and then all of a sudden yeah you now you're you're well hang on a minute now hang on a minute buddy now let's just back up there you know jump back before we get in too deep there Mr Frog and and then you start really getting into you know really some so what can be some intense and entertaining dialogue for other people is a lot of schadenfreude that goes on in talk radio. It's like watching a train wreck. I mean, who's going to turn their eyes away? But I, 
afterwards, very often, it depends on just exactly how ugly it gets. There are oftentimes I feel like I did lose control and kind of lost, you know, my, I took my hands off the rudder in order, order to be able to shake my fist at the sky. And I'm not ever proud of that. It's, it's easy to win an argument when you have the on and off button, too. Let's be frank. Right, which is why... I, I hate arguing. It's the last thing I like to do, but I like to discuss, have discussions and sure. uh, disagree with someone all the way up as, as close to your bumping up against the argument sure. area. But I, but I hate that. But I, it seems like anymore you try to have a discussion and people think you're trying to have an argument. You are correct. Because you just can't. Well, it begins there. It doesn't, you don't, you don't even get a, you don't even get a buffer period. You don't you don't even get a a beginner's, you know, uh, you know, luck run, you know, and, and a discussion nowadays. Try to use a, a, what's it called? Like give devil his due or whatever. Try devil's advocate. Try to do devil's advocate. Try to do that. I I used, I used to tell my listeners all the time, just as an exercise, here's the, here's the deal y'all, you know, listeners out there to my radio show podcast, this podcast, anybody, you know, I I could take either side of an issue mm-hmm. and argue it effectively. I would really only believe one of them, but I could make the other argument. I know what the other argument is, and I recognize that going in. That makes me a pretty good debater. All right? I'm, it's going to be rare that somebody surprises me with something. If they, if they do, I'll admit it. That's one thing I'll, I'll give myself credit for when you have these talk show hosts like Rush God bless his soul. I disagreed with him on virtually everything, but let's get this clear. He was the Beatles of this medium. Nobody will ever, ever do what he did, and I have to respect that. But he was so much more entertaining when he was human. When he became a demigod, he was no longer entertaining to me, and he really bought his own press a lot. Sean Hannity is terrible at that. He he is truly a narcissist. Um, I mean, I've met the man. I, I, so many of the people that when they get to that level, it's hard not to, to start believing what people are blowing up your skirt. You know, you want to believe it. It's very complimentary. But I will be the first to admit when you've made a good point and I am taken aback. If I'm, if I'm struck at a loss for words, you'll know it because there won't be any words coming out. I'll be going, damn, that's a good point. When you get into your arguments... Do you honestly want to discover what's true? No, I want to win. No, I want to win. I would hate talking to you. Yeah, no, no, it's no, it's no, it's this, the discussion part is, I, is is where everybody's all treated equally. I when could, it gets I into could, argument mode, I want to win. I I'm sorry. I could discuss with you all day, but if you start arguing with me, I'm out of here. Well, let's don't. I'm in your place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, no, it's raining outside. Come on, man. Baby, yeah, it's yeah. cold outside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. But no, no, it, no, it's, it's, it, yeah, come on. That's human. You, you know, you, you can't help, but you can't help but go there unless you're, you might just very well be much more enlightened than me. You might be Gandhi. Like I, everybody, everybody goes to that. Oh yeah. You know, you get down to that, <laughs> that, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You are. No, I've got you. I'm rubber. Your glue bounces off to me, sticks to you. You know, he was <laughs> suddenly we're back in the third grade on the playground, you know, I, I, I have a friend, I have a friend who's in my mind. who's exactly, um, 
how you like to argue. It's uh, so it's it's cool to see that you remind me of him right <laughs> good, now. Good. Where, where did that come from? Was that did, was that always in you? Were you three years old? You know, yeah, pushing around other babies and stuff. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't pushing around. No, I, I came to their defense very often. Uh-huh. That being, let me let me describe it another way too. I mean, I, I love being able to actually uplift this community, which I love, this town, which I love. And the causes that I love. I mean, I've been given a bully pulpit, I mean, for almost three decades. I've been given a bully pulpit for for the things that I support, including, I mean, the environment in general, outdoor activities, which is what drew me to this town to begin with, and the, you know, uh, adrenaline-producing sports that we're best known for around here, uh, social issues across the board. I got very involved here on the south side, living here on the south side, with working with the homeless, very involved personally. And, uh, and so I, I love having that too. I mean, it's, it's a, you asked me the very first question, am I the voice of Chattanooga for a lot of people over the last three decades I have been and, and may still be, um, I have to take that very seriously. I can, I can, I can cause a lot of damage through flippant words and answers. And I've seen that happen and it's, it's a terrible thing. And I can also really do a lot of good. And it feels good to do good. So with your, it's not just arguing. With your um, unique skill of winning any debate that you want, or arguing any side of the coin that you want well, what keeps you in control, and what makes you know what you should argue? The topic of the day should be whatever you and your friend are talking about around the water cooler or the coffee pot that morning or over beers at happy hour. If we're talking about something other than that, we're off course. If we're trying to force people to talk about Afghanistan when they're wanting to talk about what the Titans did the night before in a bad call, you know, you're not going to spend a whole show on that bad call, but you better be leading with it. Um, from there, I mean, there's a certain amount of, of um, there's so much distrust for the media now. All right? So much distrust for the media, and we've earned it. We've earned it over the, over the years. I can, I can say that what you hear is, is what you, you're going to get from me. You're going to hear the absolute honest truth from me at all times. I, I, just, I, don't have a, I don't have a gene for lying to people. It doesn't seem to do any good. It just seems to make things worse. Um, but there's a certain part of us, I guess, if there's an editorial slant that's in, inside journalism as a whole, think about the people who are going to be attracted to the category, to that career. They want to change the world and make it a better place through what they do. So that you kind of go in with that attitude. So there are things that I think you should know and you should care about, and I want to steer the discussion in that direction if you will go there with me, we might have a good discussion about it. People might learn something. If you don't want to go there, then I'm really wasting my time. And it might frustrate me, but we're going to end up going back to what the people want to talk about. So, I mean, that's it really. You're, you're guided by what it, your, your gut, just your instinct tells you. Is this arcane? Is this esoteric? Am I just yapping to myself? Even if you are yapping to yourself, sometimes you're going to do it because it's important to you. But more often than not, you just kind of just go with the flow, really. I'm I'm not a big believer in show prep. That was a big problem between me and my old company, Cumulus, the corporate, you know, corporate media. They wanted tons of show prep. They wanted you to show what you were doing to prepare for your show. And in my opinion, 
planning is for dullards. You come in, you know exactly what the first thing is you're going to talk about. And after that, it's going to be dictated by phone calls and whatever happens after what you bring up. You just follow the follow the river, man. Well, you see my notes right here. I had scribbled down. About, I see. I see. Scribbled down about ten words as we sat down. <laughs> they look like hieroglyphics. That's 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 about as much as anybody. If I was interviewing the Pope, it would be about like that right there. I might actually think to do about ten of those. Well, I I uh, agree with you one hundred percent on this show prep because I like a natural conversation, and if you're if you just have your, a, a check mark list of things that you got to get through, you're not going to be focused on the current part of the conversation. Sure. You're going to be thinking about what's the next part after that. You are correct, sir. And also you're asking the same questions that every other reporter in town is oh, going to ask. Yeah. Here's the checklist. Here's the soundbite. We need you to get young cub reporter. Don't, don't pay attention to what they're actually saying. Right. Just make sure you bring back this soundbite. And they let Pulitzer Prize winning material go over their head and just trying to get that sound bite. You're absolutely correct. Well, it's stressful. They have their bosses to uh, yeah. uh, report to. So I, it, it can't be easy for that job when, when you're just doing your own podcast. It can't be easy, but the they could guy. do a lot better job of it. I mean, individual reporters could stand up so much more. The newsrooms in general could stand up much more. The news directors and assignment editors could stand up much more about what's really important locally, what's 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 important to the local people. They know, and they know what the, the pablum and just pre-digested news Gerber that they're just dishing out is not doing anything for anybody. Boosterism, you know, our city, yay, bad guys, boo. Just it just it's just all pre-written scripts. These, these people are smart. I mean, they're smart even when they're young. They got some sense. And some of the older folks around here have just been beaten down by corporate media in the way that luckily I was able to avoid. It may not look like a very happy path that I've taken over the last couple of years, but by God, I'm still my own man. And, I, you know, it's just I think the state of the media right now is it's run by fear of liability and cowardice, to be frank. People who want to just climb the ladder, the career ladder, and and give people what they, you know, just want to hear. I said, well, you're going to talk about what people want to talk about, but that doesn't mean just just dishing out what people want to hear and holding back harsh truth. I mean, there's a there's a place for truth too, and and let's debate what truth is. That's the interesting stuff, right? Can't you do that on TV? Can't you do that in a morning show? It seems like you could. That is the interesting stuff. Truth. Yeah. For sure. And everybody's got some. Um, give me one good, positive thing about the current state of the media. We're trying harder. Exactly. I think, I think, I think we, we know exactly. We're in the pits, man. Um, I mean, I have to, I'm, I'm speaking from now a traditional media standpoint, which I'm not really qualified to speak in anymore. I don't, I don't you know, I don't currently have a, a gig in corporate radio. Um, but from that standpoint, I may have to spend most of my life there. Um, we know exactly how, how bad the situation is. I mean, we're not even in the friend zone. You know, when you're trying to, you know, score, right? You don't want to be in the friend zone and I, we'd love to be in the friend zone right now. We're in the hold it out at, you know, arm's length and not trust it, you know, as far as you can throw it zone. And I think that, I think, we're listening. I think that most people are. And I think that individually, if you let 
the local broadcasters who have been here as long as I've been here, and I can I can count them on pretty much certainly both my hands, my fingers, maybe one hand. If you let them make more calls within their newsroom and within their stations, we would be in such better shape than all of these decisions. Here's what you're going to do from the 10,000-foot-high level of corporate America. People use that phrase, that 10,000-foot-high level, as though it's a positive thing. What can you see? I, I've, I've, I've flown my hang glider up to 6,000 feet before. You know what you see on the ground? Not a damn thing. You see pastures that look like postage stamps. You don't see individuals. You don't see what's going on. That's a terrible analogy for somebody thinking that they have some sort of God's eye view. No, all you've done is you've distanced yourself. Let, let the, the David Carrolls and the Cindy Sextons of this town start getting back into asking real questions of real guests, and they can do it. They've done it all their lives. I feel like they're being held back. Well, they can do it, but um, it's more risky because you might accidentally say something that offends somebody, and then your career's over, and we see that happening all the time. Here I am. Well, yeah, so what's the antidote to that? What's um, Having a backbone. Corporations having backbone and giving local control back to the local folks. There's, There's always a failed personality, somebody who failed as a reporter, failed as an anchor, failed as a talk radio host, who is now serving as a consultant. They couldn't do it, but somehow or another, they convinced people to pay them to tell other people how to do it. And they're the ones that are saying, no, you want to do that. It's play it safe, play it safe, play it safe. When right now they ought to all be going for broke. You know, we have a a curse of pay for play you know, shows on TV and radio right now where somebody comes in and you don't even get on the air to be interviewed unless you're an advertiser, A. The entire show essentially is nothing but paid advertising, B. You know, they literally turn over chunks of broadcast time on talk stations to an attorney, to a a lawn and garden person, to, you know, a, a, a financial advisor. I mean, just, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of these people giving advice, but they turn over chunks of premium, you know, daytime broadcasting time to them to do Q and A's just because they're paying for the time. It's just a massive commercial for them. That's not advancing our, our community. I mean, how many times can you ask Dave Ramsey, should I cut up my credit cards? It's the same show over and over and over and over again. I just, I don't know. The, 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 the positive thing I could also say about American media in general is it's still the best there is. Better than BBC, anything over and I think Europe? BBC and Reuters are, are almost untouchable, to be frank, and, and have been. I think well, I don't think we've ever really matched them, to be totally frank. I hate to say it, but but no, I mean, I, I mean, American journalism is still striving to get to the truth. If if people believe that there is a conspiracy that starts from on high and everybody is on the same script all the way down to street-level reporters here in town, you're just so delusional. You seriously need to be institutionalized. You can't come to a consensus inside a newsroom on what kind of coffee to buy, on what kind of cake they want for somebody's birthday. You're not going to get everybody to sign off on some sort of national agenda, for God's sakes. It's not going to happen. But the, the cowardice and the fear of liability, the fear of losing advertisers saying one thing that might be seen as offensive or 
a real legitimate story that happens to, you know, shed a negative light on a local big advertiser. And then that starts getting into very, very touchy territory. Now you're walking on eggshells. Do you, are you going to do your job? Are you going to do what you actually have the license from the FCC to do? Or are you just going to suck up for money? And I think that we have lost an entire generation of people who would have chosen the former and we're bringing in a whole bunch of people who will always choose the latter. At some point, though, people in these in these rooms and these these editorial sessions and these you know round tables around town, you know, behind closed doors, they're gonna have to grow a pair. They're gonna have to get some backbone again, and they're gonna have to start you know taking risks. We will have to take risks to earn people's trust back. We'll have to start saying some unpopular things. I think. But then you lose the advertiser and you don't have the budget anymore and you have no job. If you produce a quality product, the people will come and if the people are there, advertisers will buy. You know what I'm in the I'm, I'm, I was in the I was in the I was in the business of selling ears, not selling opinions. Advertisers didn't buy my opinion. They bought the ears that listened. And the the better I did my job, the more ears I had and the more in demand my product became. You, know, you can't be scared. You know, um, Joe Rogan, I'm a fan of his, and he, he does a good, he's a good example of that because he says whatever he wants, and he has controversial guests on his show that people don't like, and uh, he still gets ads. He of course he ads. does. Of course yeah. he does. And he'll swear, he'll say whatever, you know, and it's... I mean, it, it's, the, the people in the buying positions are not looking at, they're not looking at the, uh, the checklist of conservative liberal topics. They're looking at their cost per point per thousand, you know, and, and that's, that's all there is to it. So if you're producing something that people are actively and actively listening to, yeah. that's something about what you're doing and what talk radio has done is people are truly listening. It's not background. You know, they're, they're, they're tuned into okay. us. Now you raise a good point right there. They're yeah. tuned in and it's not background. It's not some kind of episode of friends while you're making a cake. Yeah. You're not working out to it. No, no. You're really thinking you're focused. You're like hitting pause. If you're, you know, if someone says something to you and then you're going back 30 seconds to yep. pick back up. Yeah. It's one of the beauties of it. Well, what, I mean, podcasts are a great new medium to have honest good quality conversations I'm, and people are hungry for it. I mean, podcasts are just growing and growing and growing. All right. Total honesty time. <laughs> no, no, sure. li- no, no. Listen, check, check, check <laughs> sure, it out. I, I'm, just, I'm just fessing up here. I mean, this, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm an open book, man. We're just getting I, to know each other. I got Let's no skeletons it. in my closet at all. My skeletons have been dancing around town for years. Um, I am such a technophobe and this is not just some sort of just posing, you know, because I think it's cool. I don't think it's cool at all. I think it's a huge detriment. I am truly a technophobe. I, I'm not just un, unfamiliar and uncomfortable around technology. I mean, technology actively hates me, and I hate it. Well, the microphone just dropped in front of your face like <laughs> that, ten minutes ago. Yeah, so like, means, I, I'm means, seeing it live right. I know what I'm right saying, now. but this is this is talking into a stick. I'm used to. Yeah, okay. uh, podcasting is still a complete just unknown foreign territory to me. I might as well be Lewis and Clark without Sacagawea, you know, and it's, it's interesting to me at the last station I was working at, all right, I worked, you know, at the big, you know, huge, big conglomerate over there for years and years and years. And it was just getting less and less to be a good fit. 
if I had not been dismissed for the reasons I was dismissed, they were already actively looking for a reason to get rid of me because I made too much money for the market, they thought, and because I didn't play those games of the show prep games, right? The last place I was working over there, small wattage, you know, a small station, but people will still seek you out and find you. They will. They will seek you out and find you. And uh, it's it's heartening. It's heartening to know that 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 people still want to hear quality broadcasting, podcasting, whatever it is. But this whole podcasting thing, I was so amazed there. We had more people watching our show on Facebook Live than were actually listening listening to the terrestrial signal. I, I'm like Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. I'm not made for these times. I'm really not. I'm not. That was just, I completely ignored the camera and the little comment section on Facebook Live every day. I ignored it, even though it was a huge tool for us. So this adventure into podcasting is is really kind of scary for me. I don't understand what exactly what it is that attracts people to want to seek out a a recorded you know conversation on a topic but god knows they're out there in droves I, I, in unimaginable numbers it's i think i know why it, it's because we don't have these conversations in real life we want them it's a very good point we want these conversations i know why i do you know why i started this podcast lonely <laughs> in a way in a way yes and i wanted to have a conversation where someone put their phone in silent and I want to look at someone in the eye for two hours and three hours and see where it goes. And, I, and that's why. You see how far I, I put my phone away from me? Yeah, three That's feet. how much I hate technology. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> I don't even, it's the touch of Satan. Uh, right. But anyway, no, I, but yeah, but you're right. I think there's, there's something out there for, for and, everybody. And if they can't get it themselves, at least they can, they can go on the, you know, the little podcast apps sure. and get it there. And then they can get where they want to talk about. Cause we talked about this earlier. You, when you interview people or whatever, you let them dictate what they want to talk about. Sure. So, you know, I have some ideas I want to, talk about something with someone but if no one's interested i'll just go on to the little podcast world and find a conversation that i want to have and just listen to it sure i think that's what's happening i think the the people when when i i i you know was forced to quit doing my original talk radio gig after so many years everybody pushed me toward podcasting 100 percent. everybody i mean even even people older than me my you know my parents generation was saying, have you have you have you listened to Joe Rogan? Have you uh, checked out this? And and one of the most popular podcasts this a couple of years ago, two and a half years or so ago, uh, was Lore, which has now yeah. been turned into a, a pretty excellent TV show with some really bizarre animation and live reenactments on one of the pay you know channels, one of the premium channels. And I've I've tuned in did a couple of times, and I'm into ghost stories. Everybody's into ghost stories. So yeah, I mean, I guess there really is something for everybody out there, and it's uh, it's a kind of a, hey kids, let's put on a show. Everybody can do it. Some people just do it better than others, without a doubt. Um, have a, a wider reach, have some marketing sensibilities, but it's uh, it's a pretty big you know sandbox, and a lot of people want to play in it. There's no doubt. Do you listen to podcasts? Not very often. I I don't. This this will sound elitist. Um, 
you have enough friends? <laughs> no, no. I, I actually, I'm afraid of having what I do flavored or or somehow tampered with but listening to other people's uh, no, product I, okay i know what you're trying to say i you're, mean it's, uh, stephen king talked about you know when he would be reading somebody else and when he was reading a lot of harlan ellison yeah his writing yep, would yep. start coming out sounding like harlan ellison it's like putting milk next to something in the refrigerator it starts kind of tasting like that thing so yeah for that reason um i understand this because i write for a motorcycle magazine yes and I don't read any motorcycle magazine articles. Because you don't want to compare what you're doing and, and end up altering it yep. out of some sort of weird ego twist. Yep. But on the face of that, it looks like I'm being lazy. I hate it. But I, it's calculated. No, I, 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 I read I'm, other stuff. You, me and you together, buddy. Okay. Solidarity. And that's, you know, people used to say, and, and I don't even, I mean, I, I really hate listening to myself. And that's a cardinal sin in radio you're supposed to always air check air check air check yourself i hate listening to myself i literally i i wonder who would find this buffoon interesting it, i i don't really ever come away with anything positive or anything <laughs> i want to change for the better i just think god what a goober i sound like such a hick i am i'm a redneck let's face it i'm a cracker um, <laughs> just, I, I got a, I got a decent vocabulary. I'm a cracker with a decent vocabulary. How'd you get that decent vocabulary? Did you read a lot as a kid? Love a language. Yeah. Just yeah. love, love a reading. I, my, my family and also go back to something you asked earlier. My family was very, very open. I was raised in Ohio, mm. moved to the South where my family was from when I was in high school. So I spent my cavity prone years up in a little suburban, you know, Spielbergian town, uh, Fairborn, Ohio, right outside of Dayton, where Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is. So a very international community, uh, big logistics Air Force Base, and then moved to Mayberry in the middle of my freshman, you know, football season. Mayberry. I'm in a town of, of 1,300 where everybody knew everybody. And my family, because of their travels and just the way they were, they were kind of, I guess you would say, country gentry. I was the first person in my family to get a college degree, but that doesn't mean they weren't all smarter than me. They were bank presidents. They were, um, you know, pillars of the community. They were entrepreneurs in this, this, this rural area. And we had open discussions constantly. We talked politics and we talked and keep in mind, this was the late sixties, early seventies. I mean, I, I moved in 74 is when I moved to the South, right? There's still a whole lot going on. We've just gotten out of Vietnam. I mean, there's tremendous debates being had, and the generation gap was looming very large. So we we did talk a lot around the tables. We had open discussions with cousins and aunts and uncles about civil rights and stuff like this. We were all, I think, striving to be something other than the traditional sort of southern you know, country family. We didn't want to be a bumpkin, a bunch of bumpkins. And we were working on racist tendencies and, and even homophobic tendencies, which was kind of not really as big an issue then, but it was something that had to be dealt with, you know, and, and we started to in those days. So there was nothing really off limits and everybody there was savvy and they were all quick witted. So I think my family was like, it was like eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the Algonquin round table, you know, and uh, and a love of reading, everybody read. I, here, this is this is it. When we weren't discussing, the rest of the picture of my family was people with newspapers 
and magazines up to their face. Might be a TV on, maybe somewhere in a corner, depending on what time of day. But for the most part, everybody had a book in their hand all the time. And so just a, a love of language. And I just realized, I think at some point that, that a good vocabulary really got you out of a lot of tight spots. You could fake your way. With vocabulary and tone? BS. <laughs> Just straight up BS. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Vocabulary, tone, you know. If you're late, just be angrier than anybody there when you get there at the fact that, you know, you were running late and nobody can be angry at you. You just learn little tricks over the over time on how to deal with people, you know. Clever guy, for <clears throat> sure. I don't know. Clever, maybe. Possibly a... I don't know, a user, <laughs> a user of other people, an observer of the, of the human condition and somebody who will manipulate that to his, uh, to his, uh, advantage. Is that, it's uh, not necessarily evil. No, it's not necessarily evil. It can be used evil and probably a lot of times it is evil, but it can be, I would say manipulative. Is it bad to be manipulative? That's what I'm saying. It just, just, it, it certainly comes with a negative connotation in the baggage, does. doesn't it? But I mean, what are you doing? I mean, come on, you know, in the in the Me Too age, you know, it's, I don't want to get into anything that would, would create an issue. But I mean, a good looking person is a good looking person. They know that. They're not stupid. They're going to use that to their advantage, right? Smart people are going to use their intelligence to their advantage. You're going to use what you got. If somebody is strong, their, their, their strength is going to be their strength, you know? Um, and everybody does it as so is, are you being manipulative? If you use your looks to get something you want, or if you use your, 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 you know, your quicker wit, your, your, just your, your faster tongue. I don't, I don't see that it's bad necessarily. I think it's just human. There's a book called the one thing. Have you ever read that? No. And it describes what you're describing is everybody has their one thing that it's their advantage over most other people. Is that a Malcolm Gladwell book? I don't It kind of sounds like Blink or, so. or, or Tipping I Point. I don't think it is, but um, it might be. Who knows? Um, but uh, no, sometimes the one we thing? get blamed for using our one thing. Sure. I don't know if it's good or bad. I just brought that up. I already think I used the phrase false humility. You know, people, the all shucks people of the world who, who won't accept a, a compliment. I don't understand them. Why not? Somebody, oh, come on. Oh, you know, I'm not really. Accept the compliment. Say thank you. Somebody's recognizing the fact that you, you did something that you're, that you're actually good at doing. Or maybe you stumbled into it. But take it. Take yeah. that compliment. Yeah, you should always You know, but I mean, but, you know, and, and, and confidence walking into it. There's, there's not a room in this town that has ever existed ever that I'm going to be uncomfortable walking into because I'm me. They might be uncomfortable. I'm not going to be, I, I don't care who it is. I, it, it makes, it makes no difference to me if you were the president of the United States or if you're you, it just, nobody is naturally inherently better than I am. Is that hubris? Is that over overly self-confident of me to feel that way? I feel like I'm I'm just as good a person as they are, un unless I'm not. Unless I mean, it's Mother Teresa. I mean, there are certainly people that I'm going to look up to and admire, and I cannot ever even think about being able to to get to their level of of decent humanity. I'm just not that good a person. But I mean, just on 
just at in the starting blocks, they're no better than me. I don't feel intimidated by people. Is that is that is that like I said, hubris? Is that being cocky or is that just being I'm just me, you know? Where do you get your confidence? Because there's lots of people that need to start believing that about themselves and they don't. And how how are you able to believe that about yourself? That's a very good question. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I think antidepressants. Are you on? No, no, no. I'm not. I mean, lots of old man medications, but nothing like that. Nothing psychoactive. Um, I, you know what? I I think I could actually point to, to something that helped me tremendously. I think I'd be a very different person had it not happened. And don't get me. I'm not saying I'm the smartest person in the room when I walk in that room either. I'm I'm just saying I'm, yeah, you feel comfortable. I there. don't feel I don't feel lesser than because of a title, all right, or a, a style of dress. Uh, and I'm not into status symbols. You saw the car I'm driving. That's one of the best cars I've ever owned. So it's, it's it's really a, a clunker. Yeah, um, and you told me you're eating Cancun's chicken. Yeah, exactly. I stopped That's to get a pork chop at crazy Cancun's on the way over here. Not exactly. Projected. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm oh, not a foodie. Hold, uh, hold on, I have to pay my check at Main Street Meats before I meet exactly, you. Yeah, from no. a, from my grain fed you know bison right, burger. Right. No. Oh, uh, I mean not Main Street. There's pork. nothing wrong with a bison burger. Well, we're all vegetarian now, so that's a bad example. <laughs> I should have cashews or sluggos. Or- Whatever. Okay. Um, no, I actually, actually, I think that that move, and this is this is kind of a maybe this was a cheap move. Maybe this was a life hack Ooh, that that life was that, that nobody knew what that phrase would have meant back in those days, and uh, certainly it wasn't one that I knew how to get. But when we made that move from Ohio to Georgia, you have to understand the public school system up there was so much better than the public school system down here. It was easily, I was a junior in high school before I learned anything new in high school. I mean, I, for two years, I was looking at test papers that were put in front of me going, are you kidding me? This is, this is what we're, we're, I mean, this is what I learned in sixth grade. Sorry, sorry, Southern, you know, school (laughs) systems. But I mean, it, it really was just, it was that blatant. I went from being a C student, an average student, to being a straight A student through no fault of my own, just by showing up. And I realized all the advantages that came with that. People started thinking I was smart. Therefore, I started wanting to be. So I, th- I think that might be the only real answer I've got to your question as to why I'm, I'm confident because I had two years of learning the, the, the ramifications of actually being successful academically and, and, and earning people's respect that way. And I got a good, easy start. Like I said, maybe it was a cheat route, but you know, I'll well, take it. Story, it's what happened. Yeah, it know? was exactly what happened. Yeah. Now I also got my, my ass kicked a bunch for being a Yankee. So there was that. <laughs> I learned how to talk like this very quickly. I used to be Come on, you guys, let's go to school, you know, <laughs> well, neato, you know, and it, that, I lost that pretty quickly, yeah, about two like, weeks. <laughs> it took two weeks to whap, whap, whap. get rid of neato from <laughs> yeah, your exactly. vocabulary. Yeah, neato went right out the door. Well, you, you said you some, guys became y'all. You, yeah. You said something that uh, I want to agree with is you said something to the fact of people thought you were smart. So you wanted to continue or something sure. like that to believe it. That I, 
think that's the key of what people need. People in the school setting, kids who are need to be actually believe that they are smart. And I do think that most people are smart in certain aspects. Sure. Not everyone has a 140 IQ, but um, you can have a lower IQ but still be smart at something, and that needs to be pointed out And because that's what's going to help that person in the future. Everything starts from childhood. I mean, we're all just building on years and years and years of uh, thoughts and interactions as humans, and I really think that um, somehow the school system should point out the smartness where it isn't seen. I agree. I, I, we're well, and we move into a totally different category. We start talking about education, and we have, you know, we're again, if the media is being held in very low esteem right now, I'm, I'm sorry. I think our education system has deserved some of the hits it's taken too. Uh, not because of a lack of good teachers and people who want to make a difference. I, I think that's always out there. If you go into that field, you're clearly wanting to change the world for the better in a different way. And I, my hat's off to him. I couldn't do it. Um, but we've definitely become a nation of teaching to take the test. And that oh, yeah. sucks. That's just outright stupidity. As a nation, that's one of the dumbest things we've ever done. We've, we've taken away kids' spark. And we've taken away the time inside the classrooms where they can actually discuss things. The more a teacher treats kids like adults and actually discuss things that they want to hear, that they're dying to hear, that they need to hear, that they might not hear at home, that we're just dumbing down ourselves as a nation and we're doing it very consciously. This isn't happening by accident. And teaching for the test, we all know, we all know. There are some people out there who get paid to say otherwise, but they're liars and the truth ain't in them. They'd rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth if they're saying otherwise. We're teaching for people to take standardized tests, and that is not a good measurement of any kind of IQ, EQ, or any kind of, of success or intelligence, in my opinion. That's rote. Monkeys can do that. Your, uh, your little armor got perked up right there. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's something that bothers me. I've got six kids mm-hmm. and a grandkid. Where are they going to school? Uh, all of them are out, are out by now, with the exception of my, uh, my, my grandson. He's, he's up, up at UT. Okay. So I just, I've seen a lot. And I mean, we've, we went through public school, private school, church school, um, homeschool. We, we, we checked all the boxes we did through, through all of our kids and their various, you know, needs and, and wants and, and our situations that we faced and what we had going for us at that time. And it's just, um, I just, I think, again, I think, I think teachers are being held back the same way. I discussed some of the local journalists being held back right now. They're better than what their work is currently showing because of the structure that they're forced to, to work in. And a school is a very politically charged place. I mean, on personal, you know, company politics. It's it's as bad as anything you can imagine. Like a police department or fire department. I don't think people understand the political charge inside those places where there shouldn't be anything like that. But yeah, you got to constantly watch your back. You know, it's, it's a climber, it's a climber's world. Did your kids turn out all right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm proud of all of them. I think, uh, I think parents trump the teachers. So if you have, always, if you have a good parent and a bad school, you'll do all right. If you get, yeah, there's no doubt. Um, and you saw what happened here. You didn't, but a lot of people did when they first 
started the magnet school program mm-hmm. and CSAS was the first one. And people literally lined up for days and camped, camped like they were waiting for concert tickets. You're, maybe you're old enough to remember actually camping for concert tickets. I remember you know. camping for Xboxes. Well, I That's mean, my that, generation. That, that, was, that was it. I mean, I mean you know, it used to be, you know, it was first come, first serve. You, there was no, you know, advanced, you know, sales. I mean, they went on sale and you better be in line. So you camp. And people were camping in line to get their kids into that school. And then they wondered why that school did so well. Was it the curriculum? No. Was it the teachers? Yeah, it certainly had helped because they, they felt like they were part of something. It's because the parents wanted it that bad. They wanted it that bad. They were willing to camp for it. So clearly they're involved, so right? So then if they are willing to camp, they're willing to they're help willing to their do kids what, with the homework work that it takes. check up on them and ask sure. them what they learned in school that yeah. day and challenge some ideas and all that kind of stuff. I I raised my kids to be respectful too, but to, to not ever let themselves be run over. So I, I got a lot of calls, Mr. Styles. can we get you to come down to the office? You know, because you know, your, your girl is not wearing the right kind of jeans. And I would just, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. We're going to have a discussion about the fact that she's got rivets in her jeans. Is, isn't there something, is there something else we can talk about if I come down there? Can we sort of double up maybe something academically? Um, no, but it was just, I could see it then, uh, just the, the, the teacher saying, it's out of my hands. That's, an, another, that's, that's, that's another disease that we face as a nation. That's a, that's a pandemic. The, it's out of my hands. I can't make a decision. There's your cowardice again. Of course you can. Everybody at every level can make a decision. You know, I, I, I think when it gets to education, the first thing that, that comes to mind is the zero tolerance policy over anything that could be seen as a weapon. You know, when I was in school, and again, I'm old Papa Styles here talking about way back in the Pleistocene era, but you know, every boy in school had a pocket knife. Every boy in school. We, our, our, our vehicles had gun racks with guns. It was not an issue. Nobody even thought anything about it. I know it's a different age and era, but I mean, when they went crazy with zero tolerance, I was a scoutmaster for a while, and one of my best kids ever uh, went on a camping trip and had his little scout knife, and actually the blade itself, the knife blade, had been snapped off, so it was nothing but a utility tool, and he had it in his pack, which was the same as his book bag. He just basically took his books out and made it a, a pack for a camping trip, and when he went back to school the following Monday, he went in and the pocket knife fell out. And he picked it up and a, one of the kids standing there next to him at the locker said, well, you better turn that in. And he went and dutifully turned it into his teacher. The teacher turned it into the principal and they suspended him for five days hmm. for having a, a Boy Scout utility knife with no blade that he clearly had a reason for having that we all explained. And they all went, our hands are tied. Our answer, oh, come on, throw the thing in a damn drawer, give it back to him in a week, and, and keep him in school. He's a good kid with a great grade point average. Who turned it in himself. Yeah, and he turned it in himself. That's, that's too far. Well, I, I can identify with you more probably than you would assume. I went to a really small high school in northern Michigan called Skills Christian School, and like, they didn't have any rules as far as, like, you actually didn't have to have a teacher's certificate to teach there. My English teacher, she never had a teacher certificate, but um, we would do. We had a class, and it was a, uh, it wasn't debate, but it was speech speech class, and everyone had to do a demonstration, 
and you'd tell the teacher what you want to bring in. I brought in my BMX bike, and I showed him how to do some tricks. Um, but one student brought in a gun, and we knew he was bringing in a gun, and sure. taught us how to clean a gun. And this is in, oh, it was probably 1999, not that long ago. And no one thought. No, it was a, this is Michigan. This is Michigan. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Michigan, well, you yeah, have Michigan. to take a deer by the time you're 13 oh, to, yeah. to oh, get into the circle. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah at, at least one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I come from. So, I, yeah. I come from old school. You understand. School. I'm old school. I, I grew up with a party line. You're country genuine. Yeah, I guess. Is that Good what it's you. called? Country so, genuine. So were you youper? No, looper. not quite that far. Okay, all right. They're they're ratcheted. We're on the hand. We're on the hand. Right in the middle. <laughs> but uh, no, the Upers they get one more. They get a little more street cred than I do. I'm, yeah. I'm Northern Michigan. Gotcha. So, but anyway, I understand a lot of this. How things used to be. I, I feel like I have an old soul because I've I've always interacted with the the older the older people, and I know all these stories from the older generations. Do you know? Do you you want to know the the in, in my opinion, I'll tell you something that you didn't ask. The reason I think that I was as successful as I was, because keep in mind, I mean, I'm on a 5,000-watt radio station, right? And first, it's just AM. And then we go, you know, to the FM, 5,000 watts. We've got four Class A 100,000-watt radio stations in town. I regularly, me and my crew, my morning team, beat at least two, usually three of those four with one eighteenth of the power. Mm -hmm. The reason that I think that I was popular personally, we made a very good team. We, we had good teammates. One, one of mine was from Michigan. As a matter of fact, another one was, was from Chicago. We didn't have any local folks actually. Um, but a lot of it was just the fact that I was again, country I, I no matter how liberal i was on social issues or political issues yeah. as far to the left as i wanted to go on pro-choice versus you know pro-life or or you know world trade and multinational corporations and nafta or whatever the hell was going on the fact is i was still very very staunchly a second amendment rights supporter i'm a gun owner i own more guns than most people do I'm a hippie who happens to be a redneck and I know how to hunt and fish and camp and live outdoors and I enjoy being there and therefore I know what it's like to be at a mud run. I know what it's like to be at a bluegrass festival full of just nothing but straight up, you know, probably wear hoods at night guys and still get along with them. And I also can come down here to the south side back in the day when I was living here and this was still kind of the frontier of the trendy area and get along with the locals down here because I was raised in a very diverse atmosphere and worked and went to school and played alongside African-Americans and folks of all kinds. So I was, I'm way over here on the left side of this spectrum, but if you put me in San Francisco on the air back in those same days, they would have seen me as being a real country, you know, bumpkin. You know, it, it wouldn't have, I don't know if they would have heard my vocabulary. I don't know if they would have listened past the, the accent and heard what I was saying. But those right-wingers, I always won them over just through the fact that we had so much shared common life and history and the things that we all enjoyed doing, you know? And and I think that's that's what it was. They 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 found it hard to dislike me because I'm a homeboy. Really. 
I think that's what it kind of boils down to. Mm-hmm. Were you in one particular clique in school? Because I wasn't. I, I, I found myself able to pretty much go from the, the hoods in the smoking area to the future farmers of America to, you know, to the hippie arts kids. And, well, and I was kind of equally accepted or, or just, you know, not really paid attention to by all of them in the same way. I, I was, uh, I didn't do good in school. Um, school is not for me. And we went to a small, I went to a small school. I graduated 12 kids in my class. Wow. There was less than 200 in the school from kindergarten wow. to, to, you know, 12th grade. Oh, you beat me that? I graduated with 90. I thought I had a pretty small one. No, so I, I, uh, I had trouble in school. And then I went to college. And I went to the biggest college I could find. <laughs> and became, it became a... <laughs> and a, then I met all these people you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and the people that were jerks to me in school, I couldn't get away from in high school. I couldn't get away from them. They teased me, yeah. you know, pinched my nipples, call, <laughs> you know, called me raspberry nipples, all those I hated things. I a titty twister. And I was small. I didn't hit puberty till I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. When I was a freshman in college, I gained 20, 25 pounds, not a single bit of fat. I just grew. I did too. That's I funny. We, we have got a lot in common. I was 19. I still grew another inch and a half at 19. Yeah. I had not yet come into my full physical prowess, athletic ability and, until I was, yeah, a, probably a sophomore in college. I, to be I wasn't, frank. I wasn't trapped anymore because in high school I was trapped. I live in a small town with a bunch of bullies and a small school where people pick on me. I couldn't do anything. I was trapped. And then I went to college and I was free. And if someone was mean to me, I just wouldn't see him again. And then I'd meet real people with real stories and real real friends. Now you you got lost as a as a as a fish in a in a in a big ocean. Yeah. And that, that was what you needed at the time. I needed that at the time. You needed that at the time. Yeah. See I had the choice and when I moved here, I was actually getting ready to go back to graduate school and I'd been accepted at a number of schools to go back and get my masters in journalism. Um, and I had the opportunity to go to a bigger university, but I went to a small college because, and this also plays into why I might feel confident, uh, or more confident in what I do than, than some people would, or maybe than I should, let's just be frank, was I enjoyed being a big fish in a small pond. I, I was at the college where I went, which was West Georgia college at the time. Now it's the state university of West Georgia, part of the Georgia, you know, complex, um, I was the program director at the radio station and I was the news director or the news editor at the paper, the newspaper, the college newspaper. And so I was kind of a big man on campus on a small campus. And even though it was a small campus, it just made me feel good. It fed the ego and, and on school, you know, I think again, there comes that manipulation. I don't think I was, I guarantee you, I wasn't any smarter than probably you were in any class. I just basically watched the teacher very carefully for the first couple of days and figured out what they wanted to hear. I figured out exactly what that teacher wanted to hear from me. And I gave them that and I got the grade and I just completely just dismissed it. It just, it was, it was that manipulative part that played into my favor. And, and, and sometimes a teacher might be actually savvy enough to pick up on the fact that I was playing them. And and they became my favorite teachers, by the way. And and the ones that actually I learned the most from, but for the most part, it was just like, Oh, this is easy. You know, it's just just like a personality test. It's a radio, it's a radio Rorschach test. I used to say I I was, I was so dumb as a kid. I just didn't see the subtleties. I just believed things were as they were. I believed 
that the kids that got A's were just smarter than me. And I couldn't see what the, they were doing because those kids existed at my school for sure. Sure. Um, one of my best friends, he he figured out how to um, in true and false questions make his handwriting in a particular way where the teacher can't it tell if it's be true misread. or false. <laughs> That's brilliant. He, and That's then, brilliant. And also he would, you know, it's like whatever. The answer to the question is like Christopher Columbus or whatever. But he doesn't know that. But he's like, oh, I know it starts with, it's like a C C word or something. So he'd just do a clear C and then like about the amount of letters that it'd probably be unreadable. And he would just do that and do well. The answer is calculus. <laughs> yeah. That's close enough. That's close yeah, enough. Yeah, it looks like calculus to me. Yeah. Actually, it should have been cumulus. And I didn't. <laughs> type of cloud. My, my little pea brain was just so... Um, narrowly focused i i didn't understand there was wiggle room in anything and i would it was just i grew up super religious so there's like you know there everything's black and white there's no gray in the world so i that's how i just looked at the world and i didn't know these little tricks that you could do to get what you need to do why well, you just used out a whole nother topic the the same consultants that I just mentioned a while back that that failed at being the thing that I was trying to be that yeah. were now trying to tell me how to be the thing I am um the consultants in talk radio would always tell you to shy away from religion and death two of my favorite topics I love to talk about faith in religion and spirituality I love to talk about death and what it brings, the finality of it, how people approach it. We have such a sick relationship with death. I love that stuff. And again, the consultant's advice is horrible. Almost everybody enjoys talking about it. They say, you don't talk about that stuff around the dinner table again. We did. We did. And, and I think most people really do. I mean, I think that's, that's a very, this is, this is engaged. This is the stuff of, of humanity, of life, right? These are the building blocks and the, the, the very end of it's a pretty important point. And I love going there. And so I would just roundly just reject the consultant's advice on most of these things. And, and to be frank, when they would come to town, cause they would go from station to station, market to market, you know, trying to earn their paycheck, make it look like they were actually doing something other than just flapping their damn jaws. And they'd come to town and ours, literally said this for years. He goes, I have no idea why anybody listens to you guys. <laughs> Just, it sounds to me like you're having fun. Keep it up. That would be it. Then he'd order a beer and we'd be eating lunch. Uh, that was the extent of our talk. He, we were a, we were a conundrum wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in a mystery to this guy. We didn't do anything right. And we were still pounding the competition. I just, I don't, it seems so simple to me that, uh, People want to hear honest, real conversations. Sure. I, I, I don't know how he can't see that. And I'm not a genius, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my thoughts sure. on it. I think people just want real conversations. Me too. Let's talk about religion. Sure. Uh, what's your background? Do you have any religion? I was raised as a Southern Baptist. Um, in Ohio I'm, or when you moved? Both. Okay. Both. My family, of course, it was in, in the family. Yeah. And there are plenty of churches in, all across the Midwest that are extremely... Uh, conservative. Uh, even even there, though, I mean, the the, the churches were um, were integrated in in my hometown. They were not. Um, I remember the first time I ever saw a black person in my church. This is the old MLK quote: "The most segregated hour in America is eleven o'clock on Sunday." Right, and uh, even the the best people in town on both sides, black and white, we didn't have a, a big Latin population. Um, 
they just understood. I guess that was just the way it was. It's the way it had always been. I hadn't, I didn't see a black person in my church until our, uh, graduating high school had its, uh, baccalaureate ceremony or whatever you, you call it, some kind of ceremony that had something, some sort of ritualistic thing. And that was the, that was the first time. Um, but I rejected most of the most concerned. I, I mean, I was like a young deacon, um, in the church. I was an usher and, and I fully believed and I still believe, I believe in the divinity of Christ. I'm a liberal Christian. I follow in my opinion I know that my language is often foul, and I make a lot of jokes that my people might think are a little bit prurient, but that's that's their business. I, I think I've got a very good relationship with God. I believe in the, the religion of Jesus more than the religion about Jesus, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't break, think break most that of, down a little bit more. I think most of the Christians today who, who wear it on their sleeve are practicing the religion about Jesus and what they're told and not actually following his example. But the people who proclaim to be the moral majority and the Christian right out there, the whatever, the 88%, whatever they're calling themselves these days, generally, if you jump on that bandwagon and put it on your sleeve, you've already violated one of the basic principles. You're supposed to lead by example and by your actions, you know, not by your words and by jumping up on the, the pedestal. Don't be as the, the Pharisees were. I mean, don't pray in the public square. And that's just what's going on right now. There's a lot of praying in the public square. Look at me, look at me. And they join clubs and they join political parties and they sign on to ideologies because it's where the, they want to sit at the table where the cool kids sit. You know, they don't really believe. Um, I, I, I rejected a lot of the stuff in the Baptist church based on race when I came home from college one morning um, to my hometown and the Klan was having a rally downtown in full regalia. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. And I called my minister who I was very close with. We used to go dove hunting with him all the time, quail hunting. And, uh, he was a young guy. And, uh, I spoke to his wife and I said, are you aware of that this is going on? She goes, oh no, Jeff, that's terrible. I said, well, tell, you know, the preacher that we need to be down there. Cause I saw other churches were protesting. They had presences down there in our little town. You know, they were down there pr protesting the Klan. And so I went down there and hung out with the Methodists because they were down there. I called him again later on. No cell phones. I had to get to a landline. And he was out washing his car. He hadn't, he hadn't responded at all to a young person in his congregation who was having a, a major breakdown over this. Not in my town. And all of a sudden I realized, I wonder who's under those robes. I wonder if it's some of the folks down there. I wonder if it's some of the deacons. And it really struck me for the first time. That's probably the very brutal truth. Did you ever find out? No. No, but I just, I, I quit going. Yeah. His lack of reaction just disappointed me so much. And I searched and, you know, went through my college years, let so many wandering around. And, you know, everybody, I think, through that phase goes into a little bit of Eastern mysticism and starts looking at it, you know, starts reading Bhagavad Gita and all the rest of the stuff. And so uh, there's there's truth in all of it. All of it contains the the basic kernels the same thing, the same uh, essential arguments. They've all got the same golden rule, right? All the, all the major religions of the world share the same golden rule. Uh, so that'd be a good place to start. Why, why is that, do you think? Common sense, the, the human nature, something we all know on an animal level, on an intrinsic, basic, genetic level, something that is primal. These are the things that we know that are right and wrong. We all know that murder is wrong. 
right? We all know that lying is wrong, but we, we all know that white lies sometimes, you know, get you out of trouble and maybe hurt people's feelings less. You know, being honest, being honest, as I said, being honest is not, is not an easy path. People say they want honesty, but they really don't. They really don't. As a general rule, they say that, but rarely do they want you to be totally honest with them all the time. And neither is it a good policy just to go out spouting it when people haven't asked for it. I went through um, a long period when I was um, a young father. I wanted my kids to be raised in a church, and I found the Unitarian Church. And it was like the first time I walked in, there was like a lightning strike. Unitarian Universalist Church here in Chattanooga, right off of Germantown. And it, it fit me perfectly. And I stayed in that church for quite some time. I was very involved. And then, to be frank, I mean, my wife and I are now empty nesters. My wife, Rebecca, beautiful woman, 10 years younger than me. She's Venezuelan. She was raised Episcopal. She actually, her father taught at the University of the South. Her sister still lives on the campus of University of the South up in Suwannee. So they have this huge Episcopalian streak which is, let's face it, it's, it's Catholic light. Let's just say what we all know to be true. It's Catholic light. And, uh, and she also attended that church, and it was one of the things we had in common early on. And right now, we just live so far out in the country in such a remote area. We just don't really have a church home, but I think we're both okay. I am a believer. I believe in miracles. I believe that God can do whatever God wants to do, but I don't think he does it very often. I guess I think I'm more of a deist now. I really believe that he rolled the dice and he said, let's see what you do with it. And, and we, I actively pray every single day. Um, I am a member of, of a 12 step program, AA, I'm an alcoholic and AA provides a lot of what church used to provide for me. And it's a, it's a spiritual program pretty much by definition. So I don't, I don't begrudge anybody their belief system. But if somebody starts, you know, one of the one of the cliches, the bumper stickers I like a lot is that unsolicited advice is always seen as criticism. So when somebody starts preaching to me immediately, that's an assumption that I'm not already OK. And I take that personally. Don't do that. You know, or if I if at least it, if I say I'm good, stop. Stop. I don't need to be proselytized to. But I love hearing what other people believe. Do you think. um what do you believe? Oh, what do I believe? Jeez. Oh, yeah. uh, Your podcast. It is, yeah. Your time. It is. Um, you did use the past tense. Oh, did I? When you said you raised religious. Yeah. Well, I was. That was in the past. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Uh, I, just, I wouldn't say this Freudian slip. I just uh, wondered. So I, I, I studied this for years. You know, and I go, I've, I've been down to the rabbit holes, you know, the, the new atheists, the, uh, the Sam Harris, the Dawkins, I've watched the debates, Ken Ham, uh, then I've, I've been to churches around here. I, I attended a church here, uh, sojourn for quite some time, figuring stuff out, um, I've had many bad church experiences and I need to be very careful pointing out that there can be bad people who believe the right thing. I think 
You I, are correct. I don't think that's you, a very complicated. It's extremely complicated issue. It's extremely you, complicated. You put, it, you put it point blank very well. Well, it took me a while to figure that out. Um, I can point out flaws in churches with, with the best of them. What I finally landed on, because this this could be like a five day event, is, sure. is and it should be a five-day event. Everybody should go through this. Everyone should really. Um, it's important to figure out what you believe. Like, really, what do you believe? During Holy Week, I would have somebody from a different denomination come in every week mm-hmm. just to talk. Yeah. So it's, I knew next to nothing about Judaism coming up. I don't know much about it. I I don't know much about the Eastern stuff you're talking about. I'm I'm My expertise, if I have one, is, you know, regular old Christianity, um, uh, versus atheism, like that's all I. But I don't think that's the right answer. Is those two ideas beating each other to death? Um, and I'm not a very smart guy, so I look at other people who are a lot smarter than me. And and what I've noticed is there's really smart people who think uh, there's absolutely no chance that there would be any um, God or higher power, or anything intangible. I reject there. them with the same haste that I reject the proselytizer. If they tell me that they know, yeah. I immediately well, zone flag. out. It's I zone red- out. I no longer hear anything beyond what they have just said. If they say, I know this to be true, then the corks go in my ears because mm-hmm. I know for a fact you don't. And I, one of my I, 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 bumper stickers, this, I, I use that as a phrase for just cliches a lot, but a real bumper sticker on the bumper of somebody that used to attend that Unitarian Universalist church, it just said, militant agnostic, I don't know and you don't either. Yeah. That's all it said. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I personally love that. And it was right up there next to mean people suck. Yeah. There's two I can absolutely buy into. All right. And, uh, but yeah, no, there's, 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 Every bit as irritating as somebody who wants to preach at you their version of the Bible and just assumes that they're right and you're wrong and ain't going to hear it any other way is the cocksure, you know, atheist mm-hmm. who looks at you as though you have some sort of intellectual oh yeah you failure know, failure yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, you're, that you're intellectually deprived and you're somehow you know standing in ignorance right if you have a shred of faith right that's just that's frustrating I, beyond all belief they need to shut the hell up I agree and so anyway there's on there's really smart there's people that are multitude times smarter than me who are staunch atheists and staunch religious Christians or staunch whatever Buddhists and all this kind of stuff. Okay. So I don't think you're an idiot with whatever you believe because there's good arguments for a lot of things. But the person who sticks out to me that um, has made the most sense to me is Jordan Peterson's response to do you believe in God? And his two-hour answer to that is summed up says i want to live my life as if i believe there is a god that's all he could come up with after his years and years and years of studying the issue sure and um that makes the most sense to me currently in my life you're talking about reading and and on this particular topic a book i strongly suggest to anybody out there especially men you know hey and let's there, there are differences 
Viva La Difference, uh, especially the men the fathers, uh, called Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. And a very, very good book from a minister who is extremely open-minded. And it's about, you know, trying to, to, to reconnect, particularly the bond between men and, and their their sons, but, but men in general, uh, directed at them, for them, to them. Um, but the other one, I, you know, that, that really affected me tremendously, and it talked about I didn't know that much about Judaism coming up. There, were a, there was a substantial Jewish population in Ohio, but none. I mean, no, I don't. I'm not even aware if we had any Catholics in, in our town, truly. Um, but um, was the When Bad Things Happen to Good People, the book that was written by the rabbi who lost his son. His name will escape me now. And he had such a tremendous crisis of faith after he lost his son. And he had to struggle with, you know, the existence of God. And he came up with this as his more than two hour answer, yeah. you know, boiled down to this, which is God can either be all powerful or he can be all good. It is impossible for us to conceive that he is all good and so many bad things can happen. So we can't know the will and the mind of God in the big picture, but he just said it was easier for him just to go ahead and accept the fact that God is all good, but things can happen. And they do. And bad things do happen to good people and bad things happen. We'll never know. But he prefers to believe that instead of getting angry at the God that didn't step in and protect a perfectly innocent, you know, kid. That's no reason to blame him. He is all good. He didn't do it. I guess I'm, I'm not one to believe in predestination at all. Uh, that goes back to the deism well, part. And you have to believe in that if you're an atheist. You have yeah. to, I mean, yes. That's the only way it goes is we're uh, robots and we have no free. It's a free will conversation. Yeah. If there's no religion. Yeah, I, I just I think I think that's we're we're all we're all on a sliding scale, and I still I still to this day don't know what I think about um, heaven and hell. I'm firmly 100 percent convinced there is an afterlife, and it's got to be better for some than it is for others. I would think, but I'm not the master planner. I don't know. But, I mean, the concept of sin itself, the people who say that, that the murder is no greater a sin than, than telling a lie, oh, come on, come on. You know, that, that, that might sound good in, in seminary when you're sitting there around you know, and, and trying to make some sort of greater point, some sort of doctrine you're setting up, but that's just absolute balderdash, absolute balderdash. I mean, again, the human experience tells us other than that. Um, there is a beauty and a magic and a magic, just magic. That's just, let me just stop there, that transcends all the barriers and all the boundaries and all the definitions and all the lines and all the categories and, and human beings all share the basic characteristics that we see and know at a gut level, instinctive level are within us. And, and we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know when we're on the right side of an issue and the wrong side of an issue. We know when we're waffling for the most part. And we know when we're doing somebody dirty you know, I, I don't know what I believe in about, about karma. I think that probably is some collective harm that can be done over a great amount of time and some great collective good that you might, you know, be able to gather, you know, from just small good deeds over time. Um, deathbed conversions are a great topic. I mean, could you be a bad person and change your mind at the very end? Seems like kind of a, a cheat route. Speaking of which earlier, um, I don't know. I just, I just think that the, the, if you take all the world's religions, including Islam, 
and just get away from the dogma and just look at the basic teachings, they're pretty much the same. They're just rules for, for living with each other. It's the, it's the minutia that we get stuck on. The fact that, that they could have fought in Northern Ireland between Protestants and Catholics for so long, so viciously, what was the difference? I mean, uh, Baptists believe in Duncan and Methodists believe in sprinkling. Why is there even a different church for, for those two people? What's, 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 what are they buying into? You know, we may get a dividing line. I've heard of uh, churches dividing and splitting over wallpaper colors. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're dividing and splitting right now over national policy and partisan politics. We know it to be true. I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen anything like this. The, the schism in families, homes, workplaces, friendships. I have lots of friends I've just declared. You know, I don't do social media at all. Again, technophobe. I text a lot. That's the, that's the main thing I do. Doesn't every generation say what you just said? I've yeah. never seen anything. I mean, uh, 200 yeah. years ago they said the same thing. I'm sure, and I know if you go back and look at some of the things that were written and and uh, and, and are part part of the public record when Lincoln was president and the names that, that that people were called. I know it's been great division, but I wasn't alive then. I'm saying yeah. it. I haven't seen it in my life, and I, I think the people go, "Well, we haven't seen this since 1968, the Days of Rage." Oh, I think it's much worse. I think it's much worse. Now, again, I was awfully young then, but I, I remember it, and that we may have had more fires in the street. We didn't have. We didn't have society poised just to strike and fight standing in line at a convenience store over something as simple as who's wearing a mask and who's not. I mean, how, how often have you experienced down here on the south side, very vibrant community, very, very diverse community, lots of little businesses popping up all over the place, unrecognizable to me. I lived down here for years. You go into a place, how often have you heard somebody just spout off without any, you know, request for him to do so? Start going off on something political, literally standing in a line. Damn gas prices, just blame the Democrats on that. My God, letting all them folks cross the board. Did anybody, I'm sorry, sir, did, did somebody <laughs> ask you a question? Was there a hypothetical posed on the way in? That guy, that, does, he doesn't know the art of letting the other person talk about what they want to talk about. I mean, just, I'm, well, I'm glad to hear that. I'll keep that in mind when I go out and key your car on the way back. You know, I don't, I don't want to be blasted by that stuff. And then, and I actually have to think, I had to, I, I think about what t-shirt I wear. Mm. It didn't used to be that way. I didn't, I didn't used to worry if I had a bumper sticker that said, you know, my favorite, my favorite of all time, by the way, and this is one I, I think everybody should have we, was something we can all agree on. I love my country, but I fear my government. Can you buy into that? I think reasonable. everybody on the right wing, everybody sounds on the reasonable. left wing, all should be able to buy into that. Let's let's keep our government in check. All right, what, let's agree on that. Um, but I mean, you put you put something on your car, you put it on your chest nowadays. You're asking for you're asking for trouble. I I, I have a, a shirt that was a, a stylized black power fist after George Floyd was killed. And it was done by a young lady, the designer. It was, it, was, it was a floral thing that kind of came off of it. So it really made it a beautiful thing. And it was just the, the, the fist that turned into a piece of artwork. And it, it said exactly what it meant to say, you know, power to the people, but let's keep in mind the beauty of life and all that's going on. And on the back, it said, no justice, no peace. 
Who can argue with that? I mean, who can argue with that? If we're not going to be a just society, we've got to fix society. So, I mean, it doesn't mean we have to go to war, but it's not going to be a peaceful, blissful existence if people are going, this is wrong. And so if it's not just, we have to say this is wrong. That's a simple statement. Everybody should agree with that. But because it has been seen as being co-opted by one side, the other side felt obligated to say something about it. So I could wear that shirt down to my little, now my, my town of residence, Dunlap. I live up on the mountain overlooking the Sequatchie Valley, beautiful, most incredible slice of God's creation you could imagine. Do you live by the hang gliders? Yes, I, that's where I, that, I, I am a hang glider pilot. Hang, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I live there. there. That's exactly where I live, right there next to the ramp up there, all yep. right? Yep. And, but I go down to town, I don't wear that shirt. Am I scared? No, I'm not scared. Also, I'm not looking to have a political debate when I'm standing at the Golden Gallon. Or the Dollar General. I don't want to get into some debate with somebody with his, I mean, I got my dogs in the back of my car too. You got your, you know, blue tick hounds in the back of your pickup truck. How much do you really want to argue out here on the hot pavement today because of this shirt I'm wearing? But I have to think about that now. I've never, I've never experienced anything like that before in my life. To have to think about the kind of shirt you're wearing or a bumper sticker on your car or, I mean, just literally just saying something out loud. I had to change the podcast logo because people thought it was um people thought i was trying to slide in some undermining racism seriously yeah oh wow because the name is podcast called people chattanooga so i made an acronym poc and i had a friend um turn it into a patch you know and and it's that was the logo and and uh i'll have to show you a picture but there was a circle and you know the Tennessee state flag has the three Yeah, stars. three stars for the three states of Tennessee. And I turned that into a face because it's like everyone I talk to, I don't know who they are yet. They're still, it's just a generic face. Smiley face. It's a smiley face with stars and it's creative. Yeah. And then it said POC over that. People Chattanooga. But people thought I was doing people of color. <sighs> and, it, and, the, and it was a black and white image, so they thought it was a, a black face. And then they thought it went all the way back to oh, when my. people did ba- blackface back in the movies way back in the day. And I was ju- I just started getting called out. Suddenly your people of Chattanooga became Al Jolson. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I had to change it. I, I mean, I See, just. See, that's, that's kind of a stretch. I don't know. I mean, I'll show I it to you. I, I, you know, my, one of my favorite. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a geek too. By the way, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge science fiction fantasy geek. I love superhero movies. I love the Marvel universe. I was a massive comic book fan coming up. I loved The Punisher. I've got here my pocket knife. Yeah, my pocket knife earlier. There it is. There's the Punisher sign. I see it. Yeah. And this is this is just this is just your standard good old fashioned American switchblade. Yeah. Nothing to it. Punisher, but that's white supremacist now. Hmm. I didn't the know Punisher that. symbol. The symbol is now white supremacist. I've got so many items of clothing that I used to have that has the Punisher symbol on it, which is a great logo. And it it's just... a cool logo, and I can't wear them anymore. And now I guess I can't even do the OK sign. I, I, how did that become white supremacist? I have no earthly idea when that became something that meant white power. If you're not doing it on purpose, you shouldn't get blamed for doing it. Yeah. If you're, if somebody has decided. I find that offensive. This guy's wearing it, therefore he's offensive. Dude doesn't know it's offensive. He shouldn't be offensive, if that makes any sense. And I had so many people look at that logo before I started the podcast, and a bunch of eyes were on it. No one picked. No one noticed that. 
until you know when I released it, and then wow. a couple people, you know, a couple. But anyway, I had to get rid of it. I'm, or I, I'm going to ask: Should I have stood my ground, had the backbone, or should I have bent over and ditched it and started fresh? No, no. Your your gut reaction was if it offended people, you didn't want to offend people. I don't see any problem with that. Well, I was if I, it was something that really you know meant something to you. Well, had I it thought come it, from the heart. It was. I was mostly attached to it because um, I thought it was extremely clever, and one of my good friends made it. But you weren't married to it. No, you let I, it go. Well, I had to let it go. I, but it was. I would let it go when I felt like I had a weak backbone by letting it go because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I, I just, I just uh, took the plea bargain, and dropped it. And start again. I don't know how I feel about that. To be honest with you, I guess I'd have to be challenged. I've I've had people that have challenged me on a lot of things, little phrases uh, that I've you know used over the years. Um, and it's it's my language. I'm not nowadays. I guess let me let me look step back. Things that I've been saying on the air since 1992. That is my lexicon, mm-hmm. the vocabulary and the 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 dictionary, the the thesaurus of my group of friends and, and, and peers coming up. That's my language. It happens to have a lot of crossover, a lot of crossover from a lot of different places, particularly from rural blacks and rural whites. So a lot of things that I say nowadays, I think if I, if I spoke them out loud and just polite mixed company and they didn't know me, they would think, you know, appropriation of culture. He's, he's doing like black speak, like Kingfish you know, uncool, but actually I'm just saying something the way I've always said it, using a phrase as I've always used it. Um, there's, there's one, one I can think of that actually got questioned one time and I sent it out as a group text to some coworkers, happened to be a, a couple of coworkers of color, very good friends of mine in there. And it's something that it, when you spell it out, I said, you were mang amongst men's. And that was something that was said by a friend of mine that I worked with in an old wholesale warehouse. He spoke with a weird sort of, um, it was really an impediment. And uh, he'd say, mang, instead of man. And he just kind of butchered the language. So he'd say, you mang monks men's. And that was a high compliment to, from him. And I always thought it sounded good. And I, and I said it. And I've, I've said it all my life. I've, I've written it out at the end of texts. I sent a group text and I said, I said, to one of the person, I said, you mang amongst men, spelled it out phonetically. And I had somebody really question me on that. He goes, well, you know, so-and-so was on that list. I said, and? Well, you know, I think that was a little bit offensive. I went, why? I was blindsided, blindsided by it. And if that, if that you know, and I, I asked, and he said, no, it's, I know you. I've heard you say it before. So no big deal. But, I mean, yeah, if you don't mean it, or if, or if you're using it, and you, maybe it really does have a terrible connotation, and you just don't understand. If somebody explains it to you, you might want to rethink. But no, I don't. I don't think you're a coward. You certainly you don't, don't make any hill higher for yourself than, than it has to be. You know, just because you're a climber doesn't mean you have to climb any further than you need to. That's good advice. Feel free to share. <laughs> we, we are right now. <laughs> Uh, so you want to tell me about this podcast uh, that you're sure. you're developing? Yeah, um, this is again that this was this was what everybody said you should do before I got the the, the last gig in radio, and um, that ended 
let me just say for the record, it, it ended because it just, it had to, um, my coworkers, we were in a, a situation, the owner, I still considered very much a friend. I have nothing negative to say about the guy at all, but he had run a radio station pretty much by himself off and on since the seventies. And I don't think he'd ever really had an entire working radio station with so many moving parts become so successful so quickly. And I think it just kind of got above his, his comfort level. And he was, he was making decisions that were whimsical at best. And they were detrimental to my coworkers. I, he didn't ever do anything to me, nothing at all. Um, but I did decide to leave when, when they decided to leave, it, it felt like the, the writing was on the wall and I felt like we went out on the highest road we could go out on. So let me just say that for, for the record. Um, but even before I got that gig on another small wattage station that we attracted a tremendous amount of people to over the two and a half years I was there, I was still running into people every day after two and a half years. Cause we didn't have a big budget to advertise that said, man, I just now found you again every day. You know, I just now heard that you were back on the air again. And I didn't realize even then, I mean, how big an audience we had gathered together and collected until we stopped. When we quit doing it, all of a sudden it was very apparent there were a lot more people listening than we knew. We didn't buy into the ratings, which means you can't use the ratings. So we never saw them. Um, and like I said, we had more people watching on Facebook Live. And if they were going to fill out a diary, the way that Arbitron or Nielsen asks you to do, you talk about a ridiculous methodology that has never worked and always been just insanely stupid. That's a, a terrible, and it's also inherently racist. Uh, did you, did you know this, that, that when it comes to media ratings, they do diaries and they actually pay people a dollar or $2 to fill these things out. This is what I was listening to or watching on a given day. And they assume that people of color cannot fill it out correctly. So at the end of the ratings period, they weight the books of African-Americans. They give them another 30% of their volume. They weight them because there's an assumption right off the bat that they don't know how to fill them out correctly. Tell me that's not institutional racism. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, we had all these people like watching Facebook they wouldn't have gone down as radio listeners. If somebody said, what were you doing? I said, I was watching the show. So we didn't get credit for that. It's a tremendous amount of people out there, but everybody was saying podcast, podcast. So for the last couple of years, I've been doing a music podcast called Rockyology. And it's, you know, more esoteric music for, for people who I think have good musical taste, but just don't hear what they'd like to hear. Older classic stuff. That's really deeper cuts from older albums the best new stuff, but stuff you're not going to hear normally on radio, commercial radio. I've enjoyed doing that. I do Storyville just simply because I've had a very interesting life. I've met a lot of interesting people. I have a very good memory and I have a knack for being able to tell the story as well. Um, I was a huge uh, drug user and, and drinker for years and I was never blessed with blackouts. I remember all of it. I remember every <laughs> stupid thing I ever did. And some of those stories are, are entertaining, you know, for other people. And, uh, and, and the, the negative stuff in life can make entertaining stories, too. So Storyville and then uh, Explore More, which was just based on the outdoor sports that, that brought me here. Uh, hang gliding and, uh, and whitewater paddling, chiefly. Um, just a lot of backpacking outdoors. I'm, I was a boarder, a long boarder, skateboarder for years. Not, you know, in a pool tricks, but... 
downhill racing, mountain board. Um, loved a mountain board. Your, one of your recent guests, Randy Horton, yeah. gave me his mountain board, and I kept trying to give it back to him because I was putting some serious wear and tear on it. And finally one day he just said, man, I don't want it back. That thing's too dangerous. And I went, you, you, Randy Horton, the mutant? You know, and I trust me, I've paddled with Randy. I've, I've gone stand-up paddleboarding with him. I've seen what he does. I've seen him do the 100-mile races. Oh, yeah. And he says that's too dangerous, and I'm riding it downhill every day in people's pastures in Sequatchie County. I go, maybe I should be rethinking this at 56 and 57 <laughs> years old. Well, I ended up actually shattering that leg on a one-wheel, and mm. I broke it badly. Yeah, I and, see the uh, bump there. That, that ended my, my boarding career. My wife made me promise I had to wow. stop, so... Um, did you did the, you ever do the, um, long uh, long boarding down any of these mountain roads like Burkhalter Gap? Oh yeah. And, well, not Burkhalter. That'd be death. Well, I mean, I I don't I don't I know I know people not. It'd be death for me. Yeah. No, I, I was no, I was I I did not have the the slide, snowplow, yeah. slow down maneuver down pat. I was more of a person that just I I was looking for the fastest downhill runs I could get without having to break. Okay. My brakes consisted of basically me dropping one foot and dragging a foot, and I always carried a walking stick. Always had a walking stick with me when I was on the board. I mean, from the day I first started boarding, years and years, I mean, in the, in the 70s in Ohio. Um, I mean, I, I just always had that, and it just gave me balance. And and so I could drag a, a foot and a, and, a, and a stick and usually slow down, but I mean, once you start hitting terminal velocity on a good board, I mean, you're doing 35 miles an hour. There's no slowing down. So I was not that guy that could actually pull that, that snow plow maneuver and just come to a stop in a dead curve. But, no, I, I went all the way down 111 from, from the, really? the top yeah, on when, my mountain board one when, night. When did you do that? Um, I was actually <laughs> trying to get some, some GoPro footage of the full moon yeah. in motion. And so I actually, I was going home. It was about 12.30 a.m. It was right after a Riverfront Nights. I used to book the bands for Riverfront Nights, the concert series on Saturday nights down at the river for Friends of the Festival. And we'd had a wonderfully successful night, huge crowd. The band loved it. Uh, the band was Cross-Canadian Ragweed. Um, and, God, they were great. And they were actually thinking about breaking up. And they said that gig gave them the energy to keep on going. It made me feel great. It was a huge full moon that night, and I was going home, and instead of getting off on the – there's only two exits yeah. on that mountain, and we're on the, the second one heading toward Dunlap. I just went past the exit. I went down and turned around came back up to where the observation area is yeah. that looks out south and, and, and you know, toward the, the Tennessee River down Sequatchie Valley, and it's just a beautiful observation area, but it's down well below the hang gliding ramp. Well, I parked there and took my mountain board and my GoPro, and I put my GoPro on my head, and I walked up about 300 yards, and, of course, I'm in the uphill oncoming lanes, right? So I'm going against the flow of traffic. I wait until I can't hear anything. I can't see any lights in the distance, and I go down the hill, and I'm on these big knobby tires on this mountain board. So, so you're not going to go 35 miles an hour on this thing, right? It, it's going to hit a maximum speed, and, and, and good boards shouldn't wobble. And so I was just so focused on getting the full moon and getting the shot right that I looked down and realized I had gone past the parking lot. So I didn't do it on purpose. But at that point, there is no other, there is no other option. I'm going too fast to stop. There is nothing to be seen anymore because now I've gone beyond the observation area. Now I'm under canopy. So the full moon is blotted out. 
I have no light whatsoever because I was out there bathed in that moonlight and all I can do is basically aim at the dark line between the two gray spots. That's all I could see of the interstate was just sort of a field of gray over here and a field of gray over here and a darker ribbon in the middle. And I'm flying at maximum speed on this thing, just whirring, just sounded like a machine gun fire. And I was on the board for six minutes, six solid minutes to go the distance that it took to come to a stop down 111. And there is this much room between you and the wall and the median on the right side. There's no room between you and the guardrail, which is only three feet off the ground or right about knee level. And when I got over there toward that, I could hear and sense the rail without being able to see it. I had no idea what was on the other side. It could have been three feet, 30 feet or 300 feet down. So there was no use going that way. So I just stuck it out and got to the bottom and I could actually feel the pressure drop and the temperature change when I went by the oncoming ramps for the ramps that were coming from the valley going up the hill, you could literally just feel the coolness kind of just go by and and then, you know, change again. So I wouldn't advise it. I I met two vehicles. Uh, You you talk about having a guardian angel. Normally at that time of night, there would be tandem lumber trucks coming up that highway all night long. I met two vehicles and in their oncoming lights, I could see the, the, the median wall And I got as close to it as I could. And I promise you what they saw was not somebody having fun. (laughs) I promise you what they saw going by them in the darkness of night was a face of stark terror (laughs) and completely out of control. (laughs) You know, so uh, I've I've got a lot of those. Hence Storyville. Storyville, There you go. For sure. I've thrown myself at death and missed many times. So you still hang glide uh, consistently? Not consistently, simply because I have let my my license lapse uh, Mm. several times over the years, just got too busy. I was flying again right before I broke my leg. I've got a glider up there now. I I miss doing it regularly, and it's nobody's fault but my own. Time and money, got to get time and money together. Healing from this broken leg took a lot. They actually, the, the reason this scar is so horrible, those are my abdominal muscles. The fourth surgery... I actually got MRSA, and they had to take out all the titanium. My whole leg's titanium now, and they had to replace it. Uh, almost, almost killed me, and that one was not my fault, of course. I just, I just got MRSA, but they literally had to take out my abdominal muscles and stick them in my leg just to get it to hold stitches. I just didn't have anything left down there because when I shattered it, it was a multiple compound thing. It was, it was pretty horrifying. Wow. Yeah. So no, I'm not. I'm not flying. I could go up. I could go up there and put my glider together today and launch and land if well, if it wasn't raining, um, and and have no trouble with it whatsoever and enjoy my flight. But I'm nowadays it is it is like everything else. They're a little bit more legalistic and they actually follow the rules. It was kind of a a pirate sport when I started, and rules were just things that were minor suggestions to be laughed at. And nowadays, I mean, again, for very real reasons, you got to think about insurance and, and you know, the fact that it would, it would, it would, it would affect the club very poorly if I launched without having my proper papers in order and screwed up. And I wouldn't want to do that to him. I'm a, I mean, I'm a lifetime pilot and I want to do what's right by the sport. Right. I still paddle quite a bit. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the upper body is still fine. Is your leg, does it hurt? No, it goes completely numb, which is worse. Oh. When I really work it hard, when I went to uh, Full Moon Festival, excuse me, Moon River Festival. Yeah. Um, first time I've been there, I'd been out of town the last couple of years, so I was really looking. I'm a huge music festival aficionado, love festivals, something my wife and I share. And uh, just that much walking, I, it, it starts going numb, which is a very kind of a disturbing, surreal feeling. It just like it's gone to sleep. And I'd, I'd actually, I'd, to be honest, I'd rather have pain, you know. It may sound weird. Uh, it's at least a feedback loop. You'd know if you're if the pain's getting yeah. worse or less. You know you're. Yeah, when it starts going numb, I start worrying. You wonder. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what happens to a lot of people uh, with bad diabetes and overweight, and you stop sure. feeling your feet and toes. And well, that's and that you know the fact that it took me so long in four surgeries, and when they took my abdominal muscles, I didn't even know that was an option. They put me under. Never heard of that. And I went right there's the scar. Yep. And that's the hernia I have from it. I got to get fixed. Um, that, you talk about something that took a comeback. Imagine, I mean, those muscles had never done anything except crunch in their entire lives. I had to teach them how to walk. Hmm. I had to teach those muscles to do anything other than contract. Wow. And in the meantime, I didn't have any stomach muscles. Yeah, you couldn't my, laugh. That's my six pack. I used to actually have one. I used to actually have a six pack. I had good abs. I was I was I was tall, muscular, and thin. Now I'm tall, not as muscular, and I'm carrying way too much weight. It's hard to make a comeback from losing your abdominals. Um, so I'm I'm getting there. I'm still, I work on it every day. I get up and walk every day with my dogs up on the bluff, at least a mile. Wow. Got to do something. Yeah, you do. You know, everything they say about getting old, everything, it's all true. Every one of them. Even even life gets better and more enjoyable? Yeah, yeah. even that, even that. But all that stuff you think's not going to apply to you, I guarantee you it will. Yeah. <laughs> you can mark that one down and take it to the bank. Well, do you have anything um, in particular you want to talk about? Because oh, I never so... really finished on the podcast thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, just everybody kept pushing me into podcasts, so I went and this one that we're launching now i'll go ahead and do it i'll get the big plug in it is going to be um if you go look right now you'll actually find a facebook page uh we're working on the website it's up on youtube it's up on any platform where you can find a podcast but these are pilots there's only two we've done two pilots and it's me and my old comrades from my old radio morning show and it's called the chattanooga drive-in show and it is a morning traditional radio show that's just not traditional. We're taking that long, expanded time frame of three to four hours that most morning shows are, and we're putting it into a one-pound bag. Again, we're, we're doing it within just an hour, a little over an hour. Shouldn't take that long to inform you and entertain you, and that's what I'm all about, informative entertainment, entertaining information. That's my goal in life. And what we're going to try to do with this podcast, and it will launch – Hopefully, we will be doing it daily, Monday through Friday, by the end of the month or by the first of next month. The first full week of October, we should be in weekly production. The two that you would find right now if you started searching, Chattanooga Drive-In Show, would be the pilots. And the first one's rougher than the second one. The second one's pretty darn close to what I want it to be. We're still working out just some details, but you can, you know, it's got a, we're going to have a Kickstarter campaign. The Patreon button's already set up. Um, most of the bells and whistles are there. We just are waiting to get our act together to get in and just start doing it daily. We'll be doing it uh, again Monday through Friday. It'll be there at 5 a.m. 
listen to it at your leisure. It's designed to be a morning commute show. I I tried to get them to go with calling me the communicator. <laughs> they all hated that. They, they, they nobody's going to call me the communicator. I thought it was clever. I, I it came to me one day. I said that's clever, and they all went, "No, that sucks. That's <laughs> stupid. That's terrible. Nobody's going to call you that." So I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to call myself the communicator from time to time in the propaganda we send out. But anybody who wants to listen and 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 join up, membership has its privileges, and you'll get you behind the paywall and get you some merch, and you'll be able to see the sausage being made because the. The, the cameras never quit rolling, even though we might actually stop. You know, we're, we're doing it live. We're doing it live just like it was live on the air. Live on Facebook or YouTube? We will, we will be doing that as soon as we can. At first, it will have to be pre-recorded. We just have to work around all the schedules of everybody involved. Oh, but, is it not? You're not all in the same office? You guys all doing it from Zoom meetings? No, or? no, no. We'll, we'll all be in the same okay, studio. Good. We're actually using um, some studio equipment and some space that is uh, was owned by the city, and uh, it was it was sold to a couple of individuals, but it's still sitting in the same place and it was going unused. Yeah. So uh, I've actually I'm working uh, fairly closely with the city. They're very much behind this idea, and of course they understand that. I mean, city governance and people within it might very well be criticized from time to time. Certainly, if it's in the news, it's going to be in the news, mm-hmm. and if it's something that people have opinions on, it's going to be talked about. But they see the worth in it. Um, so are they part of part partnering with you a little not, bit? They're not partnered as of right this minute, but they they sure are supportive, and the support seems to be just about boundless. They they were talking about doing something like this themselves. Yeah. But of course, it would be by nature. It would if they're doing it, it's going to be more boosterific, and it would not be able to be as as pointed and objective. You know, it would have to be relentlessly positive i mean toward the city we can provide everything they need to help them get the word out for events and things going on dealing from vaccinations to festivals i don't care and still be able to do our job these are all grown-ups that that run these departments inside this city they know again we're selling ears and eyes there will be a video component and if they want them they can have them and the more they work with us then the bigger our audience can possibly get we are, this is new territory for me. I, I don't know what to expect from a Kickstarter campaign. I don't know what to expect from people asking them just to, to, to pay on Patreon. I really don't. There have, will be some traditional advertisers. There will, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Do you have advertisers lined up? Yeah, being right coming from our background, and it just makes sense. The people who are missing us right now, the people who are constantly reaching out to us going, when are you guys coming back on? Yeah. When do you come back on? Man, when do you come back on? I'm dying here. Right, and again, no false humility. I'm hearing that a lot from people who are saying, dude, you've messed up my mornings. You've ruined my mornings. When are you coming back on? Well, we're going to come back on with a product that is as recognizable as we can make it for it not to be a live radio show. You know, if one of the local stations wants to reach out to us after we kick their ass for a few months and say, you guys want to just come on over here and do this for us? Something we would discuss. But right now, that's just not that big a deal. Um, I want to see how this works. I don't think another town is doing it. You know, an actual official podcast meant to replace the traditional radio drive-in morning show and TV talk morning shows, which are just, they're horrible. 
They're horrible. The syndicated stuff is inane. The local stuff is boring. They have forgotten they're supposed to have fun. Or all they do is have, I'm making air quotes when I say fun, you know, soft, inoffensive blather, you know, I mean, we're the kings of soft rock, Springfield. If that's what you're looking for, I mean, there's there's stuff out there for you like that. The God, the, the syndicated stuff just drives me batty. It's so brainless and it's so offensive. And if if I'm going to offend you, I'm going to offend you. Hope, hopefully, in a way that makes you think, not just yeah, affecting, you know, character voices and making fun of people with physical handicaps. It's 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 horrible how bad it's gotten. And and to be totally honest with you, some of the more important people in our community agree. They they agree that that the state of local media has degraded, and they see where we might actually be able to fill a void, and be both entertaining and and do a good job, giving people a voice. We will be taking tons of feedback. It just won't be in quite as real a time as as we could do when we were on the air. And again, I, I never really completely hung my hat on calls. Calls could yeah. help a show or they could really be a hindrance. You know, because you, you don't want to be rude to somebody. But if somebody calls in and they're way off topic and they're they're struggling and you ha- you're trying to be kind because you don't want to be rude, I mean, it can, you can lose 20 minutes. So it's not necessary, but I mean, the feedback's necessary. And it'll be pretty darn quick it'll be quicker than you get out of a newspaper or any other radio or local tv show so call 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 your country station and see if you can get your opinion on there on something good luck with that and they're supposed to actually give you some time for that the fcc regulates it these people holding these these licenses in this town do not earn them they don't deserve them so um the the i'm trying to understand the format here so you're gonna you and your crew how many people are on this show with you it is Myself, my partner in crime and kind of business associate, Jen Lambert. Mm-hmm. I call her Pimp Jen because she sells my ass on the street. Um, Brian Stone, who does his own podcast, Stone on Air. Um, Russell Stroud, who was our news director at the old station. The, the Again, the, the owner of that station has no problem with him doing this podcast, even though it will be competition. He, he roots for us. He's a young guy. Uh, we've got Dave Hooker doing sports. We've got uh, local comedian Jeff Greenspan as a contributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taft Sibley uh, mm-hmm. of the formerly of the Land Trust here. By the way, congratulations to Jeannie uh, Kelly. Yeah, who just got just the big that. position over the Land Trust. Congratulations to her. She and I running all. I don't run. I don't run. <laughs> Let me just say we run in all the same circles. When I say that about her, you can literally she picture does. her running. Yeah, she does. I, I, if you see me running, call nine one one. Something is terribly wrong. Either I'm after somebody or somebody's after me. Yeah. Um, but no, we move in the same circles certainly. And I was part of the advisory group for the outdoors with Tim and his campaign, got no problem with Kim White. I know Dawson Wheeler was doing the same thing with her, mm-hmm. and he does a great podcast too, the Day yeah. Fire podcast, super popular around here. We want to work with all the podcasters, you, them, Clint Powell, who does yep. the you know uh, During the Break podcast. We shouldn't be competition to them, to you guys at all, in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, we'll have traditional advertisers more than a Joe Rogan would. Yeah, It will not be organized, recorded commercials that will run you off, though. They'll be, you know, more like an NPR underwriting type thing. And I think I can slide them in. The The pilot that we did Saturday, which is the second one in the studio, 
it's about 95% there. And I think you'll hear that uh, the commercials are not going to be a deal breaker. But if there's a part of it that you don't like, you just get to fast forward to it. Yeah. If there's a part you did like or you want somebody to hear something, you rewind it. And the Explore More, which I mentioned earlier, that is going to be a full-length interview much like this at the end of every podcast. The podcast will officially come to a close, and then we'll have a full-length interview at the end of every one. With who? Whoever we are going to be talking to. And okay. this one is actually Barry Quarter of the Times Free Press. We're going to talk about his podcast that he does on Bonnaroo. And the biggest question there is how do you – it's called the What Podcast, which is named after the main stage at Bonnaroo. And I was there at the first, I was at the first few Bonnaroo's and it was a very life changing event for me. It was huge. And so I see how it's really a lifestyle. It's like, you know, it, it's like your tribe, the people who are into Bonnaroo, it's almost like a lifestyle thing, but how do you continue to do a podcast over something that hasn't happened in two years? Cause it keeps getting canceled. So we talked to him about that and about as much as he could tell us, which was not much about this very unwelcome news about them going to, you know, fully digital. The paper's going fully digital by next summer. And they'll only be doing the printed paper on Sunday. And that to me is just, I swear I can hear the bell tolling. That's like the death knell for American journalism. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But people like me, we're going to be hard pressed to sign up for an iPad and that's the only way we can read the paper. They've got a real sales job ahead of them. We're going to help them do it. I mean, the, the, the time, we're lucky to have the Times Free Press. Again, I've lived in a lot of places, and for a town this size to have a paper of that quality, they have no idea how lucky they are. So that's Chattanooga Drive-In Show. <laughs> put, the, put the hype voice on it. Oh, yeah. Chattanooga Drive-In Show, Monday through Friday. It'll be ready at 5 a.m., and... Um, Tune in and listen, see what you think. See if we pull this thing off. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. I look forward to that. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, whenever we get together and we're doing it, it's just very natural. Mm -hmm. It's just falling off a log. You know, it's just like talking here. Yeah. Really, it is. We're not doing anything different. Just talking, there's more of us. Um, whenever I leave and I'm feeling all pumped and I get by myself, I start going, what am I doing? <laughs> this is a scary, dark place. I don't understand the technology. I'm literally the lingo. I'm, I'm part of these text threads and group emails. I go, I have no idea. Well, that's fine. You, you no just idea. talk. You don't have to do, <laughs> yes. you don't have to do the logistics. Somebody, just exactly. You have my power of attorney. Yeah. Just sign me off on whatever makes sense. Exactly. Know? I'm not expecting to make a ton of money. Just enough to maybe pay a house payment and some car insurance. That's all I need out of life. I'm a simple man. You might need some health insurance, too. <laughs> I got that through my wife. She okay. works at Erlanger. Okay, Thank God. Covered. Thank you, Erlanger. Thank you, Foundation. Thank you, Thank you, Rebecca. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to, to say? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, this podcast comes highly recommended. Um, Thank you. When it was suggested and I first reached out to you. Uh, again, just not keeping up as much as I should. Uh, I had heard about it, but I didn't realize until, you know, actually we talked or communicated. I went and looked and saw some of the, the folks that you'd had. And it's a, it's a very interesting slice of life. No doubt. It's a, it's a fun catalog. I'm proud of it. Um, I took, you're going to be the first podcast to break the silence. I, I took about six months off from the podcast. Really? Yeah. I haven't had an episode in like six months. Uh, just got a little overwhelmed 
um, I do this all by myself. You know, I, I have no ads, no support. I just do it myself. Sure. I don't want ads to um, change the way I talk at all. So that's what I'm doing right now. And um, I just took a little break. But Why? Nobody can deny you that. Got to take some mental health time from time to time. I, you know, I have savings and I'm actually old enough. I've got, you know, social security right around the corner and very likely disability. I mean, cause when I was, when I was laid low and as you well know, there was another incident that also created a rather massive insult to my physical body and uh, well-being created some PTSD uh, some disability um, in the process of actually doing that I'm not going to lie about it um, it's something that everybody suggested and I finally started listening uh, PTSD is no joke let me say that um, you know there's a lot of debate right now about mental illness in this country and it's something that my family is very much aware of and something that we've dealt with for years and years and years. The stigma attached to mental illness has got to go away in this country. And I thought we were moving in the right direction. Sometimes I really worry about us as a race, as a people. I I get real down on people from time to time. And that's one of those places where it's real easy for me to see the, the worst in us, the way we treat people with mental illness. Having a whopping case of PTSD, I can tell you that it doesn't matter how confident you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are. I took a very, very precipitous fall from a very high place. Um, I was the I, I was the voice of Chattanooga. Let me just go ahead and say it. There's no doubt about it. And right now, people think I'm. A lot of people think I'm in the past. I don't want to be there. I could retire. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. If I wasn't, you you talked about your need for having conversations. As I watch the news, and it's certainly, I know people who have completely just disconnected. They're so much more blissful and happy, but they're not very active citizens. They're not really doing their part necessarily. If they're not even keeping up with the, the basics, then I wonder about, you know, what are they thinking when they go to the polls? Are they going to the polls? I think that's our duty and our responsibility. So, you know, I was at a very high place and I said, I think it was destined that I would have been released from there anyway, but the way things worked out, they worked out. It's the past. I can't do anything about it. A lot of misunderstandings about a lot of it. I'm fine, but I'm, I'm not done yet. There's definitely, there's definitely a void in this town that my show, if not me, that my show used to fill. And I want to fill it again. I really do. It's that simple. Well, that's great. Thanks for um, talking to me. Sure. Just a regular guy from Michigan. I've enjoyed it. Hey, I've and being from Ohio and a, and a Buckeye fan. Yeah. We, we got along okay. We didn't, we, <laughs> we, we, didn't, we, even, we didn't lock horns at all. We didn't even go there, did we? <laughs> no, I was going to say. <laughs> you know, y'all do have a better fight song. We have a terrible <laughs> mascot. What the hell is up with that nut? You, you guys are better drinkers. <laughs> well, and, uh, uh, I, I'm worried about them. I'm a, do- I'm a dog fan first. Buckeye fan second. If y'all don't understand that, you just don't understand what it's like to be from, you know, a traveler from different parts of the country. You can do that. You're allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. All you Vol fans, you can have a second team. <laughs> <laughs> and you need one. You need one sometimes, you know. But I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. All right. And there you have it, folks. 
Jeff Styles. Make sure to check out his new live morning podcast called The Chattanooga Driving Show. Also, please share this podcast with your friends and anyone who knows Jeff and who would like to know more about the man behind the microphone. As always, I ask you to write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, but mostly I just hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening and come back next week. Bye.